0: Welcome back, everyone, to an off-scheduled mini-sode of the Occasionalist. This is Matt Pagel once again, flying the ship solo with you as we head into February, second month of the year, and our first true, um, our first true month of the new kind of plan for this year. Or for I guess just for the plan for this year. Uh, so February, we are. Or sc- excuse me, I should say that all year long, uh, going to be doing kind of. Um, I guess I forgot exactly what I called it, but, like, we're going to be doing uh, a little imitation game. A little imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, where we're going to be kind of copying the styles of various podcasts that uh, that I very much enjoy. Um, in terms of, you know, like in, in March, uh, you know, the March of Minisodes, we obviously do shorter episodes, multiple shorter episodes on different subjects or whatever. And I can, you know, spoiler alert for March. It's not a spoiler alert whatsoever. I think I already mentioned it previously. Um, you know, for March, I'm going to try to, um, like several several of the podcasts I listen to that are dailies, I'm going to try to, in fact, put out an episode every single day, uh, weekdays only, but every single day otherwise in March, I'm going to try to get an episode up. Um, and there's more coming down the pike as, uh, you know, as we get into some of our themed months and, and whatever else. Uh, but February, this this month is our first month in which we are going to be... Kind of copying someone else's style, um, so I felt like it was actually kind of important to to make this its own mini-sode and get like this kind of explainer out of the way before diving into the regular episodes. So you know, I just didn't want to put, I didn't want to put like, I didn't want the the first episode in which um, the first episode is going to come tomorrow. Uh, you know, right after this one, first episode is going to come tomorrow. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to load down uh, an episode about the thing um with this kind of preamble and sort of instructions if you will and kind of the reasoning behind that. So I felt like it was best to do this as its own mini minisode, kind of give you the background info, um you know, where where the thoughts where the where the thought and idea kind of sprang from. And maybe I'll, and I you know what, maybe I'll do that for every single uh month that we get into. Um I guess we'll see. If, well, actually uh, I think yeah, I think actually Mar- it will work for March because I think there's only because I think the month of March starts on a Friday. So it would be a good day to sort of get uh kind of do the same thing, a little bit of a summary episode before you know diving into the the meat of the month. So that's what we're going to be doing here. We're going to give you a little bit of a, a summary, some background information, uh, also why we're we're choosing to call it what it what's going to be called. Uh this month is uh we're calling it The Vault uh this month, uh, this month of February. Uh but we'll get into all that here and uh yeah, and then uh, tomorrow we will have the full episode, but let's get into the, the first full episode, but let's get into the explanation for now. Okay then, so where does this idea for The Vault come from? Well, we can circle all the way back to about 2000, well I guess the, the show started in 2005, but uh, I started listening to it in about 2007, and uh, after that I, I kind of had the idea that uh, podcasting would be something that I would actually enjoy doing. And I'm talking about the podcast called Film Spotting. Uh, it was originally called Cinecast when it first debuted, but uh, um, then became Film Spotting thereafter, and it's been Film Spotting now ever since. the The thing that I that really attracted me to Film Spotting was the depth of the film criticism and the film theory and, and the reviews. It was more than just like it was more than just um, you know a quick a quick thirty second review of a film. Uh, you know they were going. They were going deep into films, both new and old, uh, doing different uh, doing different series, uh, you know focusing on singular directors, singular actors, uh, you know a theme often to um, you know, to tie different movies together. And the depth of the criticism, the depth of the review, and the intricacies of filmmaking, that kind of stuff they, they just got into in a way that I hadn't heard previously. And this really ran counter to general talk radio of the time. Right. Like it's, you know, instead of a cast of characters trying to excitedly talk over each other and be outrageous in, you know, two to three minute bursts, you have this more measured and thought out sort of discussion about one thing um, and all of the facets of this one thing, um, you know, with no with no rush to get through this discussion. Um, in fact, that was sort of that kind of like surprised me, like it's, you know, how long film spotting episodes were. And and now, like, they're pretty much this is pretty much standard length for most podcasts. Um, you know, sometimes their episodes stretch to about two and a half hours or so. Uh but generally speaking, at that point in time, you know, thinking about like, man, sitting there and listening to something for two hours, that just seems like a long time. But it's um you know, that's like the, that's kind of standard length. I think most podcasts definitely are right around an hour um, or less. But it is not unusual to find a podcast that is two or three hours plus long. Obviously, you know, like Joe Rogan has podcasts that are like three or four hours long or whatever. But um, he's a little bit of an outlier. But it's not unusual to find a podcast that tops two hours. And this was one of the first ones that I recall. Well, obviously one of the first podcasts that I ever listened to, period. But certainly one of the first ones I ever recall um, taking the time to fill up that much discussion on, on a singular movie or a singular director or whatever. So this, it was definitely refreshing, and it, it always stuck in my mind that you can have – you definitely can have a long discussion on things as long as that discussion is um, multifaceted and lively. Um, and that's the thing that I always try to do here. I have been trying to do with The Occasionalist and, and, and every other iteration of a podcast that I've uh, either been on or been a part of or have, you know, produced whatever. I've always made sure to try to do that, to have a lively, multifaceted discussion. Um, and film spotting has been on for it, it, literally it is one of the one of the oldest continuous podcasts. Um, it has been on since 2005, chugging along since 2005. They probably could have named the show like the movie show or something, and it they would have been able to get it because there just there weren't many podcasts back then. Um, but yeah, show's been around since 2005, so it's working on year 19. Um I mean this this podcast can vote in America and it can drink in Canada. So um it's it's just pretty spectacular that this that the that this particular podcast has stuck around for that long. So on film spotting, they have something that they call the Pantheon. And what the Pantheon is are movies that they have elevated to a status above other movies that they've reviewed or had like a really deep dive discussion on. Um but this doesn't necessarily Mean they are the best movies now I will say for the most part um you know they'll they'll do they'll do uh, movie reviews of new movies you know like when there's a new marvel movie or something they'll they'll talk about it um and then you know tie it into um tie the episodes into tie the tie a marvel episode into some other stuff to talk about kind of expand that expand that discussion but for the most part a lot of the movies you'll go through um really are definitely um Movies that just, right off the jump, they're, they are names, they're, you know, the films that they've reviewed over the years, and there's like 900 of them they've reviewed over the years, um, they jump out as definitely being, you know, they're, they're skipping, they're skipping, um, you know, some, they're skipping some, like, lowbrow raunchy comedy that we all know isn't going to be good in favor of, like, you know, like a prestige movie for that week. Um, they'll always do that. So you'll definitely see that a lot of the movies they, they, uh, they review are a cut above anyway. For the most part, um, so these these movies are are good movies, you know, quote unquote good movies, but when they elevate something to the pantheon, it's not necessarily that it's because this is the best example of filmmaking, um, even though they are very good examples of filmmaking. But very often they are movies that the hosts, uh, be it uh, Adam. Uh, Adam Kempenaar or Josh Larson. Uh, and there's been a, a different uh, rotating, a slightly, there's always been like one rotating host uh, throughout the years. But currently, and I think in its longest iteration, it's been uh, Adam Kempenaar and uh, Josh Larson currently. Um, but regardless, whatever the hosts, um, you know, the host might have a connection to a movie, um, you know, a personal connection. Like it, it was the first movie that they saw in a movie theater or something like that. And that's why a, a particular movie sticks as being it's why a particular movie sticks with them and why they have put it in the pantheon to kind of elevate it above other movies. Uh, maybe it's something that, um, you know, they saw in a movie that they haven't seen since or they haven't seen um, replicated uh, well since this you know particular version of it, whatever it might be. Those are the reasons that movies get elevated into the pantheon. And, and you know, besides the obvious reasons, like The Godfather is in their pantheon uh, of movies for obvious reasons. It's one of the best films ever made uh but you'll also find um you'll also find some other like action movies and things like um i'm pretty sure die hard is one of their pantheon movies um certainly i would agree at that period that it belongs there it's one of the best action movies ever made um but it's just kind of interesting that it has the same sort of it is interesting that it had the same sort of importance die hard has the same sort of importance to both of them both the host that the godfather does um so that's kind of the stuff that we're that's the stuff that the pantheon's getting at And that's kind of the same idea that we're going to be going with here uh, with our vault. So yeah, so film spotting has the Pantheon, the Occasionalists. We have the vault. And the idea here is very similar, um, that we are going to, you know, we have like a vault that is set up for the end of days. Um, You know, the, 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 the apocalypse is right around the corner. Civilization is crumbling. We have a big giant vault that we are going to put some pop culture properties into um and that's sort of the the premise we're working off of like if we were to if i were to keep something for posterity's sake um for future generations of human beings after after the dust has settled and they've cleaned off the rubble from our vault um we're leaving we're leaving them with something like a cultural footprint of of the old world behind and that's what we're leaving for them to find and that's what we're going to kind of discuss here. Uh, that's what we're going to discuss here this month. And similar, similarly, we're going to have our reasons for why these things are going into this vault. Um, and obviously, as we get into these episodes, we will break that discussion down and get into those reasons. So it's definitely going to be a fun one. But I did think it would. Uh, I did think it'd be kind of fun to wrap up this little minisode with a little bit of vault trivia that uh, I think you'll find very interesting okay so let's uh let's get into this vault trivia um and talk about some vaults that you might be familiar with as I said before um I, you know I was kind of debating naming our vault, but I think we're just gonna leave it just gonna leave it called it the vault like nothing sounds nothing sounds right like the the occasional pop culture vault doesn't sound right the whatever but anyway uh <laughs> so we're just calling ours the vault, but let's talk about the let's start off with the vault you probably know. Uh, the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, which is exactly what it sounds like, it is a vault built into the side of an icy mountain on some islands off the coast of Norway, and it is filled with 1.5 billion seeds, enough seeds to reseed human agriculture should some kind of apocalyptic event occur. Um, they've been collecting seeds over the past 70 years, um, and it's it's really to ins- obviously it's just to ensure you can think about this on a very long scale, you know, if tens of thousands of years from now, humanity is pulling itself out of the rubble, there is a vault that is filled with, um, there's a vault that is filled with different seeds of different plants, um, you know, for obviously mostly for agriculture, for eating, um, all that will be there for them. But also it, what I, in the course of doing this, I found this very interesting and kind of also a little bit scary um i'm gonna find this exact passage here uh scientist carrie uh scientist carrie fowler offers an example of excuse me yes the, the svalbard global sea vault is a hedge against extinction which isn't something that may happen in the future but it is happening right now uh carrie fowler offers an scientist carrie fowler offers an example of the offers an example excuse me i can read of the 7100 varieties of apples that existed in the 19th century only three Hundred remain so the extinction rate for apples for apple varieties in the united states is about 86 percent and the main reason behind this is that you know the extinction the this high extinction rate exists in agriculture because um farmers today you know farmers today are only producing certain kinds of crops so once um you know once a particular seed crop is lost in favor of another it's gone forever it, it's that's it. It's done. So something like apples, you know, the, the the varieties of apples that aren't as delicious, do not yield as much fruit are harder to maintain, blah, 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 whatever it is. Those are the ones that get that um, farmers, that apple farmers, I'm sure there's a term for it, but I don't know what it is. Um, those are the ones that apple farmers are not going to worry about. They're going to focus on the ones that they know have a high crop yield, can fetch them the most money, whatever, whatever. Um, so, it is important that something like the something like the the global seed vault exists because it's very possible that you know think again the the idea is sort of like this hedge against um some kind of uh you know near extinction level event but also what about the what about in the more near future for humanity when um when it's very it's very possible that um mismanagement of of farmland or mismanages certain crops, uh, kind of devastates global agriculture. So it is also, it's a hedge against the distant future and also the near future in terms of, in terms of the time scale of humanity. But that is the, that's the vault you probably know about the Svalbard global seed vault. All right. So how about one you probably don't know about, but is in fact going to be needed in case the, in case the Svalbard global seed vault, Ever actually uh, gets put to use? I suppose we're going to need this other seed vault, um, and this is the United States National Center for Genetic Resources Preve- uh, Preservation. Um, it's so the NCG- NCGRP um, at uh, Colorado State University, and it preserves uh, preserves over six hundred thousand seed packets. And what the whole, what this whole vault and research center is set up to do is to figure out how we are going to you know all the seeds that are stored in over in Svalbard um, how are we going to what are the, what are the best practices for storing them first off um, so I'm sure that these two um, these two institutions work kind of hand in hand hand in hand in that regard um, but it's how to store them uh, for long-term storage obviously that's that's the big that's the big key here but also once we've stored them and we need to take them back out how is how do we best go about than utilizing these seeds because it's not like these are not like seed packets that you would uh, you buy at the store and you just like open up and and throw into some potting soil. There is going to be a process to um, there's going to be a process to sort of revitalize these seeds after if they're stored for potentially millennia. So that's what the that's part of uh, a big part of what the um, the NCGRP is doing. They are sort of working on the science of seed storage and seed development and how to and, and how to um, actually utilize these utilize these seeds after they've been in storage for extended periods of time so um, once once Fallbart has done its job protecting protecting the seeds, I guess we're going to need all the research then from uh, Colorado State's uh, NCGRP to then bring those seeds back to life to save all of a, all of humanity and save our agriculture. All right, how about another? vault that you've probably never heard of um this one is called the frozen zoo you actually probably know the real name of this zoo it's the san diego zoo the world famous san diego zoo but the frozen zoo is the is this project um this project by the the research and science you know branch of uh, of the san diego zoo where they have preserved um they've preserved essentially hides and skin cells from various endangered or extinct animals. And they have, I wanna say it's almost 9,000 different um, epidural cell samples from, uh, from various endangered species. Um, from, let me go ahead and just make sure I can, I'm getting this exact here: from uh, goby bears, endangered cattle breeds, mountain gorillas, pandas, California gray whales, uh, California condors. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of these species' epidural cells. Epidermal cells, excuse me. And, uh, because the first one wouldn't make any sense. Um, and the idea here is that, you know, should, should one day our stem cell research and, um, stem cell research advancements, uh, become, I guess, advanced enough that at least in part, um, you could kind of make Jurassic Park come true, I suppose. But it wouldn't, obviously, not gonna bring back dinosaurs, but, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's sort of a, a at least the light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of these species facing extinction. So that's what is going on with the San Diego Zoo's um, Frozen Zoo Initiative, I guess. I don't know if it's actually called that or not. It sounds cool if you call it that, though, right? The Frozen Zoo Initiative. I like it. All right. Now let's finish up with a vault that is much more in line with what we're going to be talking about all month long. And this is the Arctic World Archive. Uh, this is, in fact, seeking to preserve humanity's cultural legacy. So, anything that we've created—art, music, uh, movies, uh, works of literature, um, sculptures—you name it, um, you know, clothing—you name it. This um, this archive is opting to preserve it in a um, in a digital format. Um, so, the Arctic World Archive, the AWA, it is. Uh, it was founded by a Norwegian data storage company called Pickle. I think I am pronouncing that correctly. P I Q L. Um, it's the their vault is kind of right down the street from, uh, if you will, from the Svalbard Global Seed Vault. Um, you'll that's kind of a common theme with most of these uh, these kind of doomsday vaults, if you will. They're all in very remote, remote locations, usually in cold locations for a reason. Stuff they don't want people getting too close to it and tampering with it, and also stuff preserves better when it's frozen. Um, but anyway, the AWA was founded in in 2017, Mexico and Brazil, uh, donated their national archives to provide, you know, to provide like the first sort of, um, the first sort of samples of cultural preservation for this institution. Um, it's now includes 17 full nations, um, including amongst it are the Vatican library manuscripts, some paintings by Rembrandt. Uh, there's music there's musical collections from all over the world uh, scientific breakthroughs political history sports memorabilia everything um they have 21 terabytes of open source code representing all of this uh and that is a lot of that is a lot of information that uh that uh, the awa is currently storing they're storing it on very um sort of it's, it's a film that they're storing everything on, but it's this very, it's this very unique, complicated film. Um, it, the, the process of cataloging, preserving everything, um, you know, imaging everything and taking it into account is very complex. Uh, this, the way that you, and the way that you view it, it's not like you just, it's not like you just grab like a thumb drive and stick it into a computer. Uh, you actually have to watch this in a very particular way. The film is, the film is, yeah, it's, I I can't describe this accurately, but it's not, this doesn't run like how a computer runs, but this film is supposed to last uh, about 500 years. If you were just to, you know, take a piece of it and, you know, leave it in a, leave it in a a Ziploc bag somewhere. Supposedly it can last about 500 years. Um, Hopefully it, uh, hopefully we'll never have to see how long, excuse me, have to see how long this film actually lasts uh, and preserves the uh, the record of human culture, but uh, um, it should last at least five hundred years. My guess is that um, you know how they store it too will also help kind of um, you know increase the longevity. I'm assuming keeping things out of light and keeping things in a cold place will also kind of help uh, help preserve these um, these sort of priceless film reels, if you will, uh, containing the record of human of the human cultural history. So that is the AWA, and that obviously is. Uh, excuse me, I should say the AWA, the Arctic World Archive, and then there's obviously more along the lines of what we're going to be talking about. So that's it. That's your little mini so to kind of get you warmed up for the rest of this month as we talk about saving pr- priceless pieces of pop culture, um, storing them away to survive the fall of humanity, and hopefully, hopefully uh, the remnants of humanity find them again in the future. And if not, then maybe we can provide some fun stuff for aliens to watch. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Um, So first up on this, uh, on this first episode up tomorrow will be our first entry into the vault. And uh, it is the 1982 horror classic, The Thing. We'll be talking about The Thing tomorrow. So we will see you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Can't Can't wait, cannot wait to get into this one with you.